Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. At the start of the new year, we said, hey, let's, as a church, as an entire church, let's get through God's Word together in one year. So we put out a little reading plan. We've been doing that. We've been going through uh, the scriptures together. It's really, really been infectious, more than my expectations. In the first few weeks, I have just been thrilled, really been encouraged, uplifted, blown away, really, by people coming up, stopping me, oh, yeah, I read this, or I read this to my family. What, and, and questions that are being asked in discussions, it's fantastic. We've uh, made it almost through the entire book of Genesis. We've gotten through the nation of Israel. Last week, you read some genealogies, didn't you? Yeah, I know that slows you down, doesn't it? It's not, (laughs) I'm with you there, okay? There's a bunch of names I can't pronounce, all right? But I do my best. And, you know, we might ask, well, why why, why is all this here? Well, it really uh, gives us a sense you know, of how quickly this nation multiplied and other peoples multiplied. Gave us, uh, I know we read through Esau's genealogy. It gives us history and accuracy. You know, it shows us that God's word is about detail and accuracy and that God cares for detail, doesn't he? You know, to read these types of things shows us that. We read also the story of uh, Jacob and Esau and uh, Reuben, Jacob's uh, first son and uh, the story with the daughter-in-law, things that are hard to understand, questions come up. And then Joseph, the dreamer, Joseph, the second last of, uh, of Jacob's sons, the dreamer, the interpreter of dreams. And he had all these dreams. His brothers got angry with him about it. Even his dad rebuked him. And then he was thrown off into slavery. And you know, we're, uh, we're, we ended where he interpreted the dream of the cupbearer and the baker. And things went well for the cupbearer, just like Joseph had said, and they didn't go so well for the baker, just like Joseph said. So I'm looking forward to continuing that next week. And we read some Psalms. We're continuing in the Gospel of Mark. I want to begin today with a verse from one of the Psalms that we read. Psalm 11, verse number four, it says, the Lord is in his holy temple, The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. You know, the Lord is watching you. We talked about this at our men's group last week, how the Lord is watching us. We went back to the narrative about Hagar and how God was watching her, and she said it. He sees me. He's the God who sees me. God sees us. He watches us. It's a humbling thing. It's something that we should keep in mind. And not only is God watching, he wants us to watch. We heard that song just a moment ago, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Well, you know, if I feel it, which does happen from time to time, have I watched for it? Did I realize it was coming well, oftentimes that's the case. We can actually say we, we did see this wandering coming. But were we watching? Watch is my topic this morning from the Gospel of Mark. We've read on the first 15 chapters, 
10 to 15 last week. And it, in that area that we read last week, it's a transition time in Jesus' ministry. It's a transition period. His ministry is winding down. He's coming to the cross. He had entered Jerusalem. Mark 11, he enters, hailed as a king. Hailed as a king. He's teaching in the, the temple courts. He's boldly taking on the religious establishment that has been so far off the mark. They're hypocrites. You know, we read that Jesus turned over the tables in the temple of all the money changers, that he takes on the Jewish establishment, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. He's exposing their hypocrisy as he teaches and he gives parables and they see it. They see right through what he's saying because they know those parables are about them and their hypocrisy. So they're angry. He has angered them and they are desperately trying to eliminate Jesus. And at the opening of Mark 13, we find Jesus, he's leaving the temple. Now this is just a few days before he celebrates his last Passover. We call it the Last Supper. So a few days before the Last Supper, Jesus is leaving the temple, and one of the fellows with him says, hey, look at those buildings. Aren't they magnificent? Look at that temple and the surrounding structure. Look at how huge those stones are. And Jesus responds to, to that remark. He responds to it by saying, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left upon another. Everything, every single one of them will be thrown down. Well, that's a pretty big thing for Jesus to be saying about this temple. And then he proceeded to walk across the way Directly opposite the uh, temple, there was a hill that rose up. They called it the Mount of Olives, right opposite the temple. And Jesus went up there by himself, but four of his closest companions followed him. Peter, James, John, and Andrew. And it's James and John brothers, Peter and Andrew brothers. They go up there. It's a small group, five, five men. And they begin to talk because these four, James, John, Peter, and Andrew, they are perplexed. What were you talking about? What, what is all this talk about the building falling down? And can you tell us? And they ask two questions. When will these things happen? And what are the signs going to be? How are we going to know when it's coming? So Jesus began to explain. That's the bulk of Mark chapter 13. From verse 5 of Mark 13 to the end of the chapter, it's Jesus, and he is explaining. Some call it the Olivet Discourse. He begins with one word. The word is watch. In Mark chap, uh, chapter 13, uh, verse 5, Jesus said to them, watch, watch out that no one deceives you. This is how he starts this what's called the Olivet Discourse. This is how he starts almost a, his final words to these, the closest of his group of 12. This is an inner circle of the 12. 
And Jesus goes on. I'm not going to read to you the whole chapter. Uh, I believe most all of us have read it, but I'll give you just a little summary. He said, watch out that no one deceives you. Why? Because deceivers are out there, false messiahs. Many are going to come in my name, he says, claiming that they're me. See, from the jump, right from the start, Jesus is talking about something that's going to take place in the future. And he said, he will come. It's obvious he's talking about a time in the future that he is going to come. And since he's already there, he's referring to a return. Some call it the second coming. It's, this is a, a much discussed passage of the New Testament, this which parallels Matthew chapter 24. A lot of discussion can go on about it. Jesus saying, many will come in my name. He talks about all the signs to look out for. Nation's going to rise against nation. Families are going to have trouble. Brother against brother. Father reject brother. Brother, son reject father. All because of Jesus. All because of his name. And that's just the start. He said, that's just the start. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to have trouble. The the temple's going to be desecrated. There's going to be signs in the sky earthquakes and famines. And I can imagine these four men, they're hanging on every single word of Jesus. They're on the edge of their their seats or the edge of their rocks, whatever they're sitting on. I can't believe that they're not paying attention. And then Jesus begins to bring his thoughts to a close. He's drawn this, this explanation to a conclusion. And he said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And then his conclusion, Mark 13, verses 32 to 37. He wraps it up. He he said to them, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. His first word, his first word, verse five that I read, first word, watch. His last word, watch. I think Jesus was trying to get something across to James and John and Peter and Andrew. If he wanted them to get anything out of what he was saying, take this away. Watch. And what does he mean by this? What is this watch? What is he talking about? It was, it was Jesus talking about something like a spectator sport where you go to the auditorium or the Coliseum and you sit down and you watch something in front of your eyes? He wasn't talking about being a spectator at a sporting event. He wasn't using the word watch like we would say, oh, I'm going to watch TV. That's, an, that's a passive uh, 
activity, right? If you sit in front of the TV too much, what do they call you? They call you a couch potato because you're not getting anything done. You're inactive. It's an inactive watching. The watching Jesus is talking about is active. It implies a heightened sense of observation, a person who is carefully, even cautiously, observing their surroundings and what's going on and observing with some expectation. Because something is coming. Jesus talked about that. Something is coming. There's something coming in the future. But it's unknown. We don't know what it's going to be. If a mother tells a little boy, hey, watch your little sister, what's he going to do? He's, he's looking out for her. He's watching for hazards, making sure she's not going to trip and fall. Oh, that's something too small on the ground. Don't want little sister to pick it up and put it in her mouth and choke. This is what, uh, this is what an observant little boy has been put in charge and feeling like, oh, I've got something. I've, I've got something to uh, do for my mother. She has given me this, and I, I've got I've to come through, and I'm going to make sure nothing happens to my little sister. He's observant. I had this happen to me once, not, not for uh, my little sister. I didn't have a little sister, but for my little daughter. I think she was maybe, my firstborn was maybe about two and a half, I don't know, maybe three, whatever the day was, I can't remember. It was a Saturday, uh, a day where I wasn't going to work. I got up in the morning, early in the morning, and Julie's going out. She's leaving her. She, she says, watch, you know, watch our daughter. I say, okay, I'll watch her, right? And she's in the family room, and I lay down on a couch. I put my head, lay down, yeah. And I'm watching. Of course, I'm, I'm, I'm horizontal, but I'm watching for a while. And then I started to snore. And all I remember is waking up. You know, I felt something on my face. And I said, what is going on? You, know, you ever have one of those dreams? You're dreaming something, and something weird's happening, and you're waking up. It was one of these experiences. What in the world? I'm half awake. And, and I open my eyes, and there's my daughter's face right there. And she has in her hand a lipstick, and she's just boring all over my face. That was some great watching. No observation. You know, not, not being alert, not attentive. And what did Jesus say? Don't let me find you asleep. And there I was asleep when I was supposed to be being responsible. I never told Julie that, that story until just a couple days ago. She said, you never told me that. I said, no, I never admitted to it. I wiped all that lipstick off and, and I tried to, you know, smooth out your lipstick again and put it back. And you said, you would never know. Why? Because I abdicated my responsibility. You know, I blew it. I wasn't watching. Jesus is talking about you know, this attentive observation. He's talking about that and more. He gave this little parable, a story about the watch, the watch. He gives a, a little parable, a story about the night watch. And something these men would have been very familiar with, the four, the four quarters of the night, the the evening, midnight, and then pre-dawn, it's still dark out when the rooster crows, and then finally dawn, when light cr cracks the uh, horizon and, and night is over. So there's these four quarters to the uh, evening or to the whole night, 
And there would be a watch during these times. In Jesus' day, there was no such thing as, uh, you know, the Simply Safe alarm system. They didn't have these perimeter alarms that you just hooked up to your Wi Fi system and you went to sleep and didn't worry about things because either the alarm would go off. There was no ADT that would call 911 for you in the middle of the night. No, there had to be a person. A watch was required during the night. People had to be looking out for anyone who might want to do harm. If they had property they wanted to protect, this is what they would do. They would put up a watch. Or in the case of Jesus' little parable, he said the owner of the home might be coming. And what was the owner's instruction? What did Jesus say to them? Be alert, be on guard. He told the one at the door, keep watch. The owner might come home. And if he finds this one who is supposed to be watching asleep, then he knows something about his property. He knows that it wasn't being cared for as it should. He knows that his home was left vulnerable, vulnerable to thieves and to burglars. So Jesus is making a point, and it's important. It's an important point. Be vigilant. I know that the context of this this discussion Jesus had was all about this Return, the second coming, however we might want to describe it. But this parable he closes with, it has multiple applications. Of course, it has application to what Jesus was talking about. Of course, we can make application to the return of Jesus and we can speak to that parable and say, how does it apply to that? We could also use it to apply to the church, the the universal church, and say that that represents the house. And there's another application that could be made, and that's to our life. In the parable that Jesus talked about, he mentions a house. Consider that that house represents our earthly body. Our body is a house. It houses something. It houses our spirit. We read We read early on this month, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Your body is a house. It's a house for your spirit. The breath of God came into you, and it gave you this spirit Psalm 146 tells us when the spirit departs, the body returns to the ground. It's no longer necessary. The house isn't needed anymore because the spirit has departed. And uh, we also read in Genesis chapter 3, by the sweat of your brow, God said to Adam, you're going to eat your food and you're going to return to the ground since from it you were taken, dust you are and to dust you shall return. The house is one day going to be done and it's going to go back to dust. So we have it right now. And Jesus says, watch, watch over the house. Jesus portrayed these four quarters or these four seasons. I think we could interpret them as seasons of life. We have four seasons of life from the earliest of life to the end of life. He used the night. Evening, midnight, pre-dawn, dawn. It's a picture of a lifespan. Are you watching? Are you watching your life? Because you don't know when the master of this house is coming. 
He might come in the first season. He might come in the last season. He might come somewhere in between. And about that day and hour, no one knows. About that day and hour, when your spirit departs your body and your body returns to the ground, we don't know. Some leave this life early. Some leave it after good, good many years. And some in between. But the point is, we don't know when that last day of life will be. Are you watching? Are you ready? Are you alert and attentive to what God has for you at this season of your life, at this moment of your life? Are you attentive? Are you watching? Do you know this very day of your life? Are you awake and are you ready if he comes knocking? If the owner of the house comes today and it's your last day, that's a sobering thought, I know. But Christianity is not coming to Christ in belief and uh, making a profession of faith, maybe even getting baptized and, and then going on as if nothing has happened. No, life is new. Life is new. It's meant to be new. It's meant to be different. We saw that in the waters of baptism today, that these who have repented and baptized, they're baptized. God's word is, there is newness of life. All things are new. And if that's the case, we have a new life to live when we come to Christ. And it has different goals than the world. It has different aims than the world. It has different things to watch out for. In the next chapter of Mark, we read that Jesus said, watch and do not fall into temptation. He said that when, when he asked three of these same fellas that were with him on the mountain, James, Peter, and John, and he said, hey, come with me and pray. And will you watch so you don't fall into temptation? They fell asleep three times. Are we watching for temptation? Prone to wander. Are we watching? Are we watching for false gods, false saviors? Are we watching for compromise with the culture? Because the world, it gives us temptations. The world offers false gods and false Christs and false saviors and a false sense of security. And I, I just want to touch on a few of them. One, money. Money is a huge one. Money and, and power. Have you uh, got enough? You know, if you have enough money, you'll be secure. You'll have no worries. All you got to do is have enough. Isn't that what the culture is telling us? You'll be safe. You know, the uh, stock market's on a tear. And that's something to watch. People are watching. Oh, they're watching their portfolio and they're looking. You know, hey, I, I, I can squirrel a little more money away and put it into this and buy that. And then I can watch it. And I can watch it grow because, oh, it's going to bring me uh, security. And I'll never have to worry again. But are you storing up treasures in heaven where moth and rust will not corrupt? You know, the market goes up. Hey, I, I don't want to remind you of what happened in the early 2000s, but it crashed hard. A lot of people weren't, weren't really watching that. And your life is so much more important. Are you storing up treasures in heaven? Are you in attentive to your spiritual investments? Are you investing in others? Are you pouring the gospel into others? What else do people 
put their trust in. Political parties and political leaders, you know, if only that person were in charge, then we wouldn't have to worry. If that party were in charge, oh, things would be so great and wonderful. It bounces back and forth like a ping pong ball. Things don't really change all that much. They get better, they get worse. Some leaders are better, some are far better than others. But we should do our best to be good citizens. We should be uh, exercising our civic duty, of course. We should be uh, voting. We can be involved. We can have a voice and we can influence. But we can never, ever lose sight of the fact that we are citizens of a greater kingdom than whatever country or citizenship we have here on this earth. We are citizens of God's kingdom. And we serve the risen Savior, the King of kings. He's the only leader that can satisfy He's the only leader that can, can give us no worry whatsoever. We need to watch and put our hope and our trust and our faith in that leader, Jesus Christ, not in some earthly leader who's going to disappoint. All of our hope and all of our security reside in the one and only risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Where else do we put you know, f- false hopes Things like relationships. You know, humans were created to be relational beings. We weren't created to be isolated islands. No, we need relationship. Genesis chapter three, again, the Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. Created us as relational beings. He created woman. And man and woman entered into a relationship. Sometimes in a relationship, you know, that other person can become an idol. And the world begins to revolve around that person. And honoring God gets below that person. And we put all of our hope into that one person. And you know, sooner or later, there's going to be an expectation that will not be met. Sooner or later, disappointment will come. That person will not satisfy. Be on guard. It can happen subtly. We need to watch that no human relationship goes above our relationship with Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that will never disappoint. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You know, and often associated with a relationship is sex. And society tells us over and over again, it's a constant, constant message. Sex brings fulfillment and joy. So two people meet, and before they know each other's last names, they're sexually intimate. They're sexually involved. They consider sex a right and not a gift, not a beautiful gift from Almighty God. And one of them is believing. One of them is often believing. You know, if, if I do this, it's going to seal the relationship. Oh, and, and with this union, I'll be accepted. And, and I'll have security. And that's a false God. It's a false and broken Savior. That isn't going to save you. God has designed sex in the context of marriage, where a man and a woman make a covenant with God, and then they make a covenant with each other. And are we alert, and are we awake, and are we watching, or are we being deceived, and are we compromising and saying, oh, that's okay. Those two people, they're just, they're living together, and that's all right, or they're, you know, they don't need to be married because they're exploring one another. They're making a person an idol. They're trying to find fulfillment in a physical relationship. And the salvation that comes only by the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross is the only one that can bring true fulfillment and true joy. 
And that relationship with Christ has got to be at the center. And when it's at the center of every other human relationship, those relationships will thrive. And they won't be broken when Christ is in the middle, when Christ is lifted up. You know, we have one more. I'll give you one more deception, one more false savior. And that's me, self. You know, when you look in the mirror, self, what do I want? My desires, me, me, me. You know, this Western culture that we live in, it's awash in selfishness and uh, self-centeredness. I read this in an article that was titled America's Narcissism Epidemic. And it said this, on a reality TV show, a girl planning her 16th birthday party wants a major road blocked off so a marching band can precede, uh, uh, precede her grand entrance on a red carpet. A book called My Beautiful Mommy explains plastic surgery to young children whose mothers are going under the knife for the trendy mommy makeover. It's now possible to hire fake paparazzi to follow you around, snapping your photograph when you go out at night. You can take home a faux ce celebrity magazine cover featuring the pictures. A popular song declares with no apparent sarcasm, I believe that the world should revolve around me. Pretty true. I think I've believed it from time to time the world should revolve around me. I think some of that culture has rubbed off. You know, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Am I watching? You know, am I watching out for this? This me, me, me. Never mind that Jesus Christ gave his life for you and for me. Never mind that he said in Mark chapter 8. You know, we, we just read that. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Those are the words of Jesus. And that was not some me, me, me culture. No, lose your life. You know, are we looking in the mirror and admiring Hey, yeah, there's my God. Or are we watching the cross? Are we looking to the cross of Christ? Jesus gave his life to save us from the penalty of sin. And he invites all to lose their life. And what does he mean by that? Lose your self-focus. Lose the all-about-me attitude. Put aside the idols that you've made, whether they be relational, whether they be money, power, fame, fortune, whatever. And what are you going to get out of it? Eternal life. Eternal life. That's amazing. And once you do that, once you come to Christ, he says, now watch. Watch. Don't be deceived. Don't be pulled back away. Don't be led astray. Be alert. Are we alert? Be prepared. Are we prepared? Be awake. Don't fall asleep. Have this attitude of expectation. Something's coming. Live every day as if it were your last day because you know what? You don't know the day or hour. You know, it's not morbid to live every day as if it's your last day. Not if you know Jesus Christ because you know your eternal destination. You can live every day expecting great things if it turns out to be your last day here on earth, if you know your eternal destiny. 
And until that time, keep watch, be aware. You know, if you've been watching, if you've been feeling as if you've been a little prone to wander, then we can pray today before we leave. Now, could you be watching better? I think we could all be watching better. Could we be more attentive? Absolutely. Could we be a little less drowsy? You know, I don't ever want to wake up with lipstick all over my face again. Don't ever want that to happen. I want to be ready. I want to be ready, alert and awake. I think we can all work on it. But most importantly, you know, if you've never given yourself over to Jesus Christ, you can do that today. You can do that today to seal your eternal destination and begin to live for him. He gave his life for you. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait till the owner of the house comes knocking and says, hey, I'm here. You don't want him to catch you asleep, but alert and aware. Let's stand to our feet and close today. And You know, if you don't know the owner of the house, I want to invite you to get to know him. His name's Jesus. He's not mean or vindictive. He's not judgmental. He'll love you. He really wants to come in to your house. And he wants to meet you and talk to you and get to know you. And he wants you to get to know him. And if you need to work on getting to, getting to watching better, being more alert, let's just take a minute right now as we sing a chorus. I want to invite you down for prayer. If you need help, if you need to be a little more awake, if you see that little lipstick in front of you. Come on down. Let's pray. If you need to know Jesus, come on down and let's pray. Let's sing for a bit. people that'll pray with you, who desire to pray with you. If you want prayer, they're here. You don't have to rush out today. You can take advantage of this opportunity to have a meeting with God. He's here to help. He's not here to hurt. And we have people here that would pray with you, help you, give you counsel in prayer. You can come on forward.
have your way, Lord. God, we want you to have your way in us. Lord, help us to be people that are attentive, watching, watching for temptation, watching for that little crack in the cement we might trip on, watching for something that might ensnare us. God, help us to be attentive, watching and alert. Lord, that we would be ready to meet you face to face. Lord, I ask that blessing on all who are here. God, that you would that you would seal that in our heart, that we'd be alert for you. We bless your name today, God. We thank you. May all who exit this building receive that blessing on them, Lord, the blessing of the Holy Spirit helping them to be attentive, to be awake, and to be watching. And Father, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.